like to turn your attention to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. There's a verse right here at the very beginning of the chapter that been on my mind for a couple of days. I've woken up a few times just kind of reciting this verse uh, in my mind as I'm, as I'm waking up in the morning. I think there is a profound statement that the writer of Hebrews makes to this Hebrew nation. Now, <clears throat> as I say the writer of Hebrews, the author of the book is not named. I think it's Paul, but I'm not dogmatic about that. Uh, some say it might have been Barnabas who wrote it. But nonetheless, the book was written. The book was written to the Hebrew nation. It was written to the Israelites. It was written to Jews. It was written to those first century Christians. And the statement that the writer begins with, is God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. That's, that's all I want of that. Um, we could go on into the rest of it, but... Really, what I've read to you here to begin with is really such a profound statement. We probably could spend the rest of our lifetime examining this. The statement just simply says, God has spoken to us. He has spoken at different times and in different ways, but He has spoken. Generally, as a rule, God did not speak in a mass way to massive groups of people, but usually from one person then to another or from one person then to a group of people. God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, so therefore... By conclusion, he must have spoken to the prophets first. And then the prophets spoke to the fathers. He then goes on to say that in these last days, he has spoken unto us by his son. God spoke to the prophets. They spoke to the fathers. God spoke to us through Christ, who spoke to the apostles, who then spoke to the church. Shows somewhat of a chain of command that God has established in His universe. That you may very well boil this down to the spoken Word, which is God Himself. The incarnate Word, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. Which then gives you and me the inspired Word, the Bible that you and I hold in our hand. It is important to understand this, that God has spoken. Those who deny that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh do a great disservice to the message of Christianity. 
There is a God. His name is Jesus Christ. He rules in heaven above. Looks down upon this earth as his footstool. And he is completely in charge of everything. When God created the world, he did not just set the world in motion and then walk away as if he had something else to do. God is personally involved in this world. And God is personally involved in your life. When God spoke to Moses to speak to Israel, one of the first people that Moses was to speak to was a man named Pharaoh. Moses went to Pharaoh and said, The Lord has said, Let my people go. Pharaoh asked a question in the book of Exodus chapter 5. When he says, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice. That's a reasonable question. That is a very reasonable question that not only is asked by Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 5, but it's very well still being asked today, who is God? Uh, Wonder if we as the church have a sufficient answer to that. That if someone were to ask you, who is the Lord that I should obey His voice, what would our answer be? What could you come up with to answer that question? Well, the good news is, is you don't have to come up with an answer. The answer is already contained within the book that God has given us. For Paul would go to Mars Hill in the book of Acts, chapter 17. And he would go there to that city of Athens, to this uh, city overrun with paganism. And he would find the inscription to the unknown God. And he says, this God, this unknown God whom you ignorantly worship, Him declare I unto you, God that made the worlds and all things therein. This is the Lord that you should listen to. He that made the worlds and all things therein, Paul would say, in Him we live and we move and we have our being. He is not indifferent, but He's very much involved. He is not impersonal. He is very much personal to us. He is not just some deity out in the great beyond. God has spoken. He has, through His Word, revealed Himself to us. Though we may say that through His Word, He may indeed has revealed uh, Himself to us, Partially to us. He has nonetheless revealed himself. He is here. He is real. He spoke in the very beginning of the creation. When he said, let there be light. 
About eight or nine times it tells you in Genesis chapter 1 that in God said, and God said, and God said. His voice is such that when God speaks, things actually happen. When God speaks, things actually happen. He reminds us in the book of Isaiah that when His Word goes forth out of His mouth, it shall not return unto Him void, but it shall prosper in the thing whereunto He sends it, and it shall accomplish His task. When God speaks, things happen. When I was growing up, there was a commercial on TV about this company called E.F. Hutton. I think they were a law firm or they were an economic firm or something like this, but the tagline of the commercial was, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Well, some people listened. I watched the commercial. Never one time did I ever call them for whatever service they were offering. So to some people, E.F. Hutton mattered. Don't even know if they're still in business today. I just remember that commercial from so long ago. When my wife speaks, sometimes I listen. When my wife speaks, sometimes my children listen. When I speak, sometimes the congregation listens. You know this to be true. But when God speaks, when He speaks with authority, they to whom He speaks, listen. Psalm 110 says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of Thy power. Those who deny that salvation is by the free and sovereign grace also do Christianity a great harm. To say that God is attempting or trying to save people if they would just listen, miss the point of the God of the Bible. He did not say He would like His people to be willing, but He said His people shall be willing. When? When they get ready? That's not what the text said. The text said that thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Who is this God that I should obey His voice? He is the sovereign creator of this universe who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets who hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. In the days of creation, we see that God spoke. In the days of trouble, God also has a tendency to speak. In the book of Psalms, chapter 46, I'd like to note what is written here. In Psalm 46 and verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. 
Therefore will not we fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. The message of the Bible, by the way, has always been the same. God is sovereign and God is in charge. The application of that message has varied down through the ages. We are embarking upon a new year. And what you are afraid of this year may not be what you were afraid of last year. It's certainly not what we were afraid of when 1999 rolled into 2000. You remember that great coming worldwide disaster to then fix all the computers. The whole world was going to descend into chaos and we were all going to die. Well, we're not worried about essentially nothing. Catch it? Remember, what, what were they worried about? Two little zeros. Nothing and less than nothing. But we're not worried about that today. We're not worried about the coming ice age that my kindergarten generation was worried about. Or we're not worried about the acid rain that was supposed to fall from heaven and burn our flesh right off of our bones. I mean, y'all think y'all have problems now? Try growing up in that day. When they told you if you walk outside and it rains on you, your flesh is going to fall off. You think you've got problems? Let me share you a few of what our generation grew up with. Our generation was warned. Fossil fuels were coming to an end. There'll be no more oil to pump out of the earth and we're all going to fight tooth and nail for the last drop of gasoline in the streets. Not really fighting much about that nowadays. Still some poorly uneducated folk kind of arguing about that. But what's ahead of you in 2024 is not what was ahead of you in 1999. It's not what was ahead of you in 1973. It's probably not what was ahead of David when he wrote Psalm 46. But nonetheless, he said, if the mountains be carried into the sea, and though the waters thereof roar, and are troubled. Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. He reminds us. In verse 5. That God. Is in our midst. He is in the midst. Of his people. And that God. Shall help her right early. Verse 6 says. The heathen. Raged, the kingdoms were moved. 
Are not the heathen raging today? Are not the heathens raging against each other today? Are not the nations fighting against the nations? When all of this mounting thing, all this mounting opposition to the church is rising and rising, and it seems like everywhere you go, truth is trampled into the streets. Justice is not brought forth. What's going to make the difference? It says that he uttered, His voice, the earth melted. When God got ready to speak, those that stood in opposition melted away, ran away. Like the darkness does when the daylight dawns, That when the light shines into a dark place, the darkness flees immediately. God speaks to us even now in times of difficulty and in times of trouble. To say unto us, verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. God has spoken to us. God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at sundry times and in diverse manners. In one way, he spoke with Adam, as the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. That Adam heard the voice of God walking in the cool of the day. Now realize within Genesis chapter 3, we're just giving a, we're giving a brief interaction between God and Adam. We know in Genesis chapter 3 that it does say that Adam hid himself from God because he was afraid of him when he heard his voice walking in the garden. He is giving us simply a synopsis of what occurred after Adam's sin. But to my curiosity, there's not much written about Adam's interaction with God before he sinned. Very little is written. There is written to us that God commanded Adam of the trees of the garden, thou mayest freely eat except one. It is recorded for us that God brought all the animals to Adam to see what he would name them, and and they are named that unto this day. It's recorded for us that God took note that Adam was alone and said, I will make him a helper. And from his side, he made a woman, brought her to Adam, and they became husband and wife. But there's, there's no record of personal interaction between God and Adam except this little brief verse 
wherein it says, Adam heard the voice of God walking in the cool of the day. And we're left to contemplate. We're left to contemplate the positiveness of that that wonderful verse, of that wonderful speaking. We all know what it's like to toil in the sweat of our face, in the heat of the day. We all know what that's like. And we all know what it's like to have a a cool drink of water on that hot summer day when you've been out mowing the yard or raking leaves on a on a nice August day here in uh, Alabama. We know the refreshing that comes when that nice, brisk spring air blows. What a time of joy it had to be for Adam to hear the voice of God walking to him in the cool of the day. Before he sinned, it had to be a great pleasure to be able to say, God has spoke to us. The Bible tells us that in Genesis 19, that God had decided to go down and destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 1, it says that angels came to where Lot was. And God spoke to this individual Lot. Through angels. But the reason that God spoke to Lot through angels was that in Genesis chapter 18, God had somewhat of a face to face conversation with a man named Abraham, whom James chapter 2, verse 23 calls Abraham the friend of God. And that God spoke to Abraham face to face as a man speaketh to his friend on behalf of an individual named Lot. These angels spoke to Lot. We know in the book of Numbers that there was a prophet named Balaam who Kind of got sideways with God a little bit. And God spoke to Balaam. But he didn't speak directly to Balaam. He spoke to Balaam through Balaam's animal. Through his donkey. And you often wonder in that situation which one is the dumb animal. Balaam or the donkey. Because it's the donkey that sees the angel in the way. It's that animal that sees the destruction. And it's the human being who just plows on right ahead, regardless of the stop signs that God throws in front of him. You know, there was an old adage that was 
popular when I was growing up that winners never quit and quitters never win. Y'all remember that? Regardless of how hard it gets, you just keep plowing on. Well, that's about the dumbest thing we were ever taught. You know it? If it's not working, you might want to stop and figure out what's wrong. Right? I mean, if you're... We got this... We got this book called uh, A Buzzard is My Best Friend. It's a pretty good book. It's a great book. It's about a family in Washington, D.C. that moved to a farm. And the husband wants nothing to do with the farm. He's like, wife, children, y'all run it, do what you want to. Well, it comes time for them to mow the hay. And he says, I'm going to send you a friend. So he sends his wife and two sons, retired army general. To mow the hay. Well, you can't mow and bale hay when the hay, when the grass is wet. According to the book, you got to kind of wait till the sun rises. It kind of warms up, dries out the hay a little bit. Then you can get the baling machine. Then you go out there and do it. Well, any of you have done any work, as we've been talking about, when it warms up, it also gets a whole lot harder, right? And people's adage was, might as well get up and, and do it early. And his adage was, if we're going to do it, we get started early. And she tries to tell him, you can't, you can't bail hay when the grass is wet. But he's going to do it. He's going to plow through. And throughout this entire scenario, the machines don't work right. The animals don't work right. None of it works right. But the children are like, why, why are we doing this? She's like, just let him finish and we'll fix it when he leaves. Hey, if it's not working, you might want to stop and figure out why. You being stubborn to push through ain't going to fix it. And here's Balaam. He's going to be stubborn. He's going to push through. He's going to make it work. And the Lord says, that's not appropriate. But it's interesting that the Lord Himself does not come down and stand in front of Balaam. He uses Balaam's animal and then an angel. Did you catch it? God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. God spoke to Job one time in Job 38 but he spoke to Job out of a whirlwind God spoke to a man named Elijah one time in 1 Kings but he spoke to him with a still small voice God has a tendency to interact with people but he has a tendency to interact with people indirectly you say what in the world's that got to do with us today don't you hear especially in this new year that someone comes along and says i have heard from god a special message for y'all really what'd you hear 
Did you hear something that harmonized with God's Word? Well, if you did, the message is unnecessary. Did you hear something that didn't harmonize with God's Word? Then what you heard was incorrect. The message that somebody has for you doesn't harmonize with God's Word. The message is incorrect. If this special revelation does harmonize with God's Word, the revelation is unnecessary. But have you ever noticed the number of people who say, I'm not doing anything until God Himself says so? God very seldom said so to everybody. Notice these words in the book of Numbers chapter 12. In Numbers chapter 12, beginning with verse 6, He says, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. I think one of the reasons that people are so heavy on visions and so heavy on dreams is they feel like they can't control their dreams. Right? I mean, you wouldn't believe the crazy dream I had last night. It was the weirdest, dumbest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And there's no way I sat down and planned this before I went to bed. But there's absolutely no way God was speaking to me in this dream. I I think it was the coffee I had last night before I went to bed, maybe. Or maybe the chocolate. Or the chocolate coffee. Uh, Who knows? Most people blame it on Mexican, but we didn't have Mexican yesterday. Maybe today. But, you know, people look at visions, people look at dreams as somehow more important than the rest of it because we can't control our visions and we can't control our dreams. Oh, it is true that God spoke in dreams in the Old Testament. There's no doubt about that. Because He spoke at various times in various ways. But oftentimes, the people he spoke to in dreams, he also spoke to someone else. So Nebuchadnezzar is a good one. He gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream. He gave the interpretation of the dream to Daniel the prophet. And the interpretation was fairly reasonable to the dream. He gave Pharaoh a dream. He gave the interpretation of the dream to a young man named Joseph. And both the dream and the interpretation were fairly reasonable. There was nothing greatly extravagant about it. I dare say that if any child has a dream, mostly the time the Lord is giving a child a dream is probably because you need to do your homework or clean up your room or do the chores that mom and daddy tell you. That's probably what those dreams mean. How about that? Um... There were times, indeed, when God spoke through dreams and visions. But notice what he goes on to say here. He says, my servant Moses is not so. 
who is faithful in all mine house, with him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? God spoke with Moses face to face. Now, we also do realize that the term face to face when it comes uh, to God speaking to people is more metaphorically. Because no one actually saw God's physical face. He told Moses, if you look on my face, you're going to die. I'll hide you in the cleft of a rock. And I'll pass by and you can see my backside, but you'll never see my face because if you see my face, you will die. So when it says he spoke face to face, it just means there was no interpreter between them. There there was no mediator between them. But here's something also that's interesting, that when he says he spoke in times past unto the prophets or unto the fathers by the prophets, He spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. Right? He's never spoken to me out of a burning bush. Has he ever spoken to you out of a burning bush? I don't think he's ever done that. God spoke to Jonah, told him to go down to Nineveh. He spoke to one person so that one person would go speak to a whole city. There was something important about Moses, though. Moses was indeed the mouthpiece of God. When God got ready to speak to Israel, though God guided them through the day with a a, a mighty cloud that protected them from the sun, and though He watched over them at night with a a pillar of fire that, that warmed them from the cool of the desert, when God got ready to speak to Israel, Moses left the camp went north of the camp to a little tent and Moses spoke with God. When the priesthood was established, the high priest only went into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the Shekinah glory of God would come down and there he would meet with the high priest but the high priest alone. Very few times what you're looking at in the Old Testament is God speaking directly to an individual. So for someone to say in today's society that we're not going to do anything unless God says so, just be careful. You see what we're trying to get to you here? is that God has set up sort of a chain of command in His society. Now this does not mean that I know more than you. But who's in charge in your home? The parents or the children? Who should be in charge in the homes Specifically Christian homes. The parents or the children. Or are we all just collectively in charge? See what we're getting at?
Joshua chapter 1. You find that at this point, Moses has died. Israel has nobody in charge now, so they think. And there arises a young man named Joshua. The Bible tells us here in uh, Joshua chapter 1, that first off, the Lord speaks unto Joshua in verse 1 of chapter 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Which tells us, regardless of what we think of human beings in this life, there will come a time when these human beings will die. There will come a time when I will die. There will come a time when you will die. You know this to be true because every generation before you has died. When that generation dies, is all hope lost for the people of God? No, it is not. That, that, that should have been a resounding no for us, folks. Now, is it very possible that this church is still here because of the generations that have gone before us? Absolutely. It is entirely very possible that this church is being blessed, not because of this current generation, but because of the generations before it that God honored. I'd like you to notice something here. Moses, the servant of the Lord, has died. And God says to Joshua, my servant is dead. Now you get up and you go. You go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. I'd like you to notice verse 13. He says, remember the word, this is Joshua speaking, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. What's Joshua's message? Joshua's message is the same message of the generation before it. Joshua is not sent with a new message. He is sent with the same message. See, we're in the middle right now of this current generation telling us every generation that's been before us has all been wrong. Folk need to be careful about that. These new little churches pop up here, there, and yonder. And I use the word church very loosely. As if to say God is giving them some new message that He hasn't given us to in the past. The Bible says that God who spoke to the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. And the question is, is whether or not you value what the Son has said. 
You see, in the book of Malachi, Malachi, I believe, chapter 3, he reminds us that he will send a messenger before his face. And this messenger in Malachi chapter 3 that shall come before the Lord, he says, he shall, well, let me turn over there and read it to you. I want you to see I'm not making this up. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Well, that's John the Baptist is who this is. John the Baptist is this messenger that came in the New Testament, saying, Make ye straight the paths of the Lord. Prepare ye way, the way of the Lord. The Lord is at hand. You remember this messenger? Notice what he says here. He says, And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to His temple, even the messenger of the covenant. So there's coming one messenger to prepare the way for another messenger. That John the Baptist is going to come. He's going to prepare the way before the Lord. And this Lord that's going to come is going to be the messenger of the covenant. See, God who spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets is now going to speak unto us by His Son. That the one who comes from heaven is not just a graduated angel. The one who comes from heaven is not just one of the beings of heaven that was able to build himself up to some level of holiness. Some of y'all look a little confused on those statements. For there are many in the world around us who teach that Jesus Christ is just a created angel. And that through personal sanctification and holiness elevated himself to the position of deity that he is now. You know, John chapter 1, verse 1. Y'all know this verse, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. That's not what your text says, is it? But I guarantee you these little folks who walk around your neighborhood and knock on your door trying to sell you their Watchtower and Awake magazine, that that's exactly what their book says. That this word that was from the beginning was a God. And friends, that's idolatry. The text does not say that he was a God. The text says he was God. And that that word that was from the beginning that was God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that he indeed was a messenger. He was a messenger of the covenant. You see, one of the things about the book of Hebrews is that if you read through the book, there are certain things that are going to start popping out and jumping out to you. And one of the themes, think T-H-E-M-E-S, one of the themes of the book of Hebrews is the term better. 
better ministry, better high priests, better sacrifices, better resurrections. The whole point of the book of Hebrews was to remind those Hebrew Christians in the first century that what you have now through the ministration of the gospel of grace is far greater than anybody has ever had up until this point. That those high priests in the Old Testament offered sacrifices continually year after year or week after week. Whatever was required of them, they were constantly and continually making sacrifices. But this man, when he had made sacrifice by himself, once and for all sat down. Because what he did was better than anything the prophets and fathers and high priests had seen in all of the Old Testament days. God has spoken to us through His Son. It's a time when David had sinned with Bathsheba. Second Samuel chapter 12. We know that the Lord does not approach David directly. But that David goes through Nathan the prophet. And Nathan tells him a cute little story. You know, the story of the rich man and the poor man. And the sacrificing of the poor man's sheep to feed the desires of the rich man. And David is incensed. He's angered. Finally, Nathan looks at him and says, Thou art a man, buddy. This story's all about you. Or we know that there was another time when David numbered the children of Israel against God's wishes. And you can find this story in uh, 2 Samuel 24. That David is now approached by Gad, his seer. Seer, S-E-E-R. See, one of the things that we notice about David was, though David was self-willed, like a lot of us, David did surround himself with wise people. The majority of times that David got into trouble is when David started doing stuff by himself. It's important for us to have people in our life that care about us. It's important for you to have friends in your life that care about you. And when they see you going in a particular direction that is going to be hurtful, it is important that they tell you that. But you know, it's also equally important that we listen to those people. What is the mantra being screamed louder than ever now in this current generation? 
Don't tell me what to do. You just live your life, and I'll live my life. We'll just live and let live, and we'll all be fine. Does that really have a way of working out? I mean, if, if my life is a life where I enjoy stealing things from people, we going to just live and let live? I say, oh, well, you can't. No, you can't really do that. I mean, you need to live and let live as long as you hurt nobody. Well, who says? Well, no, you need to live and let live. And, and we all, we don't have to believe in God. Let's just believe in good. Let's all just get together and believe in good. Good according to whose standard? Who gets to say what is good and what is evil? Because there were a vast number of people who thought Hitler was doing good. There are a vast, there are, there are a vast number of people now on the continent of Africa who still work in the slave trade. Do you realize that slavery still exists in this world today? Most people don't understand that. Especially the younger children coming out of high schools and colleges nowadays. They don't understand that slavery still exists in this world today. They think slavery is the fact that, oh, well, you're not allowed to work in a particular place in America. Which, though that is unfair, that's not slavery. Slavery was what's going on in the continent of Africa now. Where one group of human beings is enslaving another group of human beings and selling them into what we know as slavery. Well, is that good? We would say no. They would disagree. Why? Well, because the people we have enslaved are less than humans and there goes your whole argument backwards and circles and this, that, and the other. Are we going to say just do good? By whose standards? There has to be. There has to be a standard whereby everything else is measured. And when the Lord Jesus Christ is on top of the mountain... In Matthew 17, there appeared with him Moses and Elias as he is transformed before them. And on this mountain with Jesus Christ is also three of his apostles, Peter and James and John. And Peter says, boy, this is a great day. Fantastic. We're all here. Glad you're here. Uh, glad Moses is here. Glad Elijah is here. Got the law and the prophets. And we got Christ. So we're just going to build us three tabernacles right here. And we're going to worship all of y'all. And it's at that point there in Matthew 17, about verse 5, that it says that there was a voice that came from heaven 
saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. And it was He who spoke to the twelve. It was He that spoke to the Apostle Paul. And then the twelve and the Apostle Paul spoke to the churches. And they still are speaking to us today through this word. There may be no greater position for you to take in this new year than an elevated appreciation of the Word of God. If everything in our life were taken from us, I mean, I'm talking about all of our uh, electricity and our running water, lights, nice little buildings that we have. The one thing that we could not stand to lose is the Word of God. The biggest problem, I think, that has faced the church down through the ages may be an ignorance of God's Word, or may not. Because you can have an ignorance of God's Word, and yet still strive to do maybe what the Christian community has told you to do. You have to be very loose with that. What's even worse than having an ignorance of God's Word is knowing what God's Word says and still not doing it. See? There's a difference. You should not come to church on Sunday mornings because I told you to. You should not come to church because you've been baptized here and you've agreed to be a member here and participate in what other group is doing. You should come to church because Christ told you to. Because if you do what I tell you to do, now it may be right for me for you to do what I tell you to do because I may be right in what I'm saying, right? You know, if I tell you don't go out and steal, that's a pretty good thing, right? If I tell you don't go out and commit adultery, that's a pretty good thing, right? If I tell you don't take the Lord's name in vain, that's a pretty good thing for you to listen to, right? But if you're only doing it because I tell you to do it, one of these days I'm probably going to let you down. One of these days I might do something pretty stupid in my life and you're going to be ashamed to have ever even known me. Right? And you're going to say, see, that whole Christian thing, that's for the birds. It didn't even mean anything to the preacher. But let's just say you're doing something because Christ told you to do it. Didn't Paul say, follow me as I follow the Lord? The reason he tells you that is that Christ... I'll never let you down. I will. I hope not. But it was Paul who said, I keep under my body and bring it under subjection, lest at any time when I've preached to others, I myself shall be a castaway. 
If you're putting all your hope in the preacher, or you're putting all your hope in those people that you go to church with, and something happens at church, and they do something, and they upset you, and I'm never going back there because of all them people there, you were there for the wrong reason to start with. You ought to be here because of Jesus. You ought to be here because you don't want to just hear what the preacher has to say. You are hoping that God will speak to us today through His Son. And that He will teach us. And that the preaching of the Word, magnifying Christ and glorifying God, will be the foundation and backbone of this assembly. God who at sundry times, in different ways and in different manners, spake in time past unto different people, one singular message that He hath now spoken in these last days unto us by His Son. Thank you all for your good attention this morning. Let's stand and sing a closing hymn.